Detroit, the near future. Officer Alex J. Murphy and his partner, Ann Lewis, fight to rid the decaying city of the criminal element which infests it. After being mortally wounded in the line of duty, Officer Murphy is outfitted by OCP with bulletproof titanium robotic parts and with computer-enhanced motor and sensory capabilities. He has become the ultimate super cop. Robocop. Radio Draw. As you guys can tell from what I played before the Video Dromi, Radio Dromi open, tonight is all about Robocop. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Marquis de Suede. Robo Marquis de Suede, tonight. You don't deserve Robo. As well as Cecil Nancy Allen Trachtenberg. Not Cecil Cop? You're not Cecil Cop. You, you get to be Lewis. Yeah, you get to die in the third <laughs> part, apparently. We'll get there. Boo. But before that, if you want, I don't know if they have a RoboCop porn. If they if they don't, that's that's a missed opportunity. But you can go to adamandeve.com and see if they do. And use the promo code DROME to get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free mystery gift, and free U.S. shipping. All for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. One now, of those DVDs better be RoboCock. You know, if they, if they didn't use RoboCock, somebody was sleeping at the wheel. Yeah, they probably used this ain't RoboCop, a triple X parody. That's what they do today, but we're not we're not discussing porno today. With the new RoboCop in name only movie coming out this week, we're going to do a RoboCop retrospective. Now, technically, this is a repeat of something we've already done on the show. Back in episode 4, over 150 episodes ago, Brad and I did a RoboCop retrospective. I think 150 episodes it's safe to do another one, so we're hitting Robocop up again. So I found Robocock. It's actually gay porn. <sighs> that does not surprise me. No, it doesn't actually. I'm actually what surprises me is that you didn't own it. Nothing, huh? But go go on. <laughs> <laughs> he he does now. <laughs> He's ordering it using the promo code Drome right now. Robocop, when it hit the scene in nineteen eighty seven we as audiences were totally unprepared for the franchise that was coming. Foreign director Paul Verhoeven making his first English language film. It had a goofy title. It was a dyed-in-the-wool satire. The screenwriters weren't really known for anything. It had a relatively unknown cast, or at least lesser-known cast, and yet RoboCop hit huge the first film i i saw it in the theater and i loved this movie the satire hit where it was supposed to the violence even in the r-rated cut was pretty brutal the cast was phenomenal the story was great the effects were great the first robocop was huge i mean for me it's one of the very 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 rare films that i feel is a perfect film there is absolutely nothing in it that i would change i just adore it it's in 
my top 10 like greatest most favorite movies of all time i i love it i love peter weller i love verhoven it just everything they did was right it was just a fantastic movie and uh one thing for some reason that i've always remembered and this is just the dumbest most insignificant thing when the movie first came out i believe it got a review in time magazine of all places and they were calling robocop flint beastwood and for some reason you know here we are you know how many decades later and i still remember that because i remember thinking that's the dumbest thing ever like they're writing about this they didn't have anything they could really say about it except for the fact that they were like who is this guy flint beastwood it was just the stupidest well, thing there, but, there, there were some issues with critics at the time they didn't get that it was satire go back and read a lot of 1987 reviews of robocop they didn't get that this was satire and so some of the more over-the-top goofy elements were seen as negatives that's that's kind of funny when you look at it in retrospect isn't it so maybe that's where they were coming from cecil it could be they just they didn't know how to take the movie in so they just were taking it at face value rather than looking at oh it's it's a satire there was oh the -the over-the-top violence is horrible you know and it's like well that's kind of the joke (laughs) the first robocop movie i didn't get to see until years after when I was an adult because every kid liked it. Every kid was into RoboCop and I wanted to watch it. And my parents screened the movie and told me, no, it is when I finally did see it. It is like Cecil said, a perfect movie. The, the social satire in the movie is great. The action is great. The, you know, it's no hold bards R, um, and a very hard R at that. It's a amazing movie. Well, now, both of you said something very interesting there. You both said it's a perfect film. I won't say perfect, but I I love it. But we almost got a different film. This originally, before it morphed into what we know as RoboCop, started off as a Judge Dredd script, to the point where the original RoboCop costume even looked like Judge Dredd. They started doing test sculpts where he was basically Judge Dredd. And I don't know if the studio didn't want to do it, if there was a rights issue from 2000 AD or whatnot, but they eventually abandoned the Judge Dredd idea and then rewrote the script to the RoboCop that we know. Let's say the script was 80 to 90 percent the same, minus the elements that would be succinctly Judge Dredd. Do you think the film would have still worked in 1987 as a Judge Dredd movie, knowing what we know about the RoboCop movie? I don't think Dredd was as popular with the mainstream at that time. Making a brand new character, RoboCop, was a good move on their part because if it was like, hey, here's a comic movie based off of this lesser-known comic, Judge Dredd, I don't think it would have gone over well and I don't think it would have opened itself up to the social satire that RoboCop has. If you go back and you listen to my episode that I did on the 1995 Stallone Judge Dredd, Ed Neumeyer was trying to get the rights to Judge Dredd at the time to make the Judge Dredd movie. He didn't know that at the time the other studios already had the rights and were kind of working and the, you know in the movie that eventually became Dredd. So I'm actually really happy because the, because they didn't get the Judge Dredd license, they ended up making RoboCop. And it was something 
different. So it's like if you if you look at it, you're like, you know what? Yeah, I could totally see how this could be a Judge Dredd movie. But because of the fact that it wasn't, it ended up being still a different entity altogether and became more more the satire, more of the, the brilliance that kind of came from from that. And it was funny because when Robocop came out in theaters, producers and everything that were working on the Judge Dredd movie, they saw it and they were joking around about how they were like, oh, God, they're like, you know, this is the greatest Judge Dredd movie that's not called Judge Dredd. Yeah, the, the comic industry, being familiar, more familiar with Judge Dredd than the mainstream was, like Alex pointed out, go and read some of the early reviews from the Comics Journal and things like that. They're all like, this thing's a shameless Judge Dredd ripoff. That's just even more ironic in retrospect, isn't it? RoboCop hit really big. And the fact that we are even calling it RoboCop is kind of surprising because the title, RoboCop, is actually one of the sticking points that almost everyone wanted changed. Paul Verhoeven didn't like the title. Nancy Allen didn't like the title. Ronnie Cox didn't like the title. Peter Weller didn't like the title. Nancy Allen is actually on camera saying she only agreed to take the role if they promised that they would change the title from RoboCop because it sounded like a kid's movie. For whatever reason, the title never got changed. I don't know if that would have been a good or a bad thing. What, did they want something like the generic toy Robert Cop? I don't know what they wanted, but nobody wanted it to be called RoboCop. Well, RoboCop just fits in so perfectly with it. It's like, it's, the whole thing is so over-the-top ridiculous, and it's like, you know, we, we've got a, you know, there's a new guy in town, his name's RoboCop, you know, and it's so, like, corny, but it's perfect. Like, you, you wouldn't want a really awesome, cool name. You know, here's the... Uh, here's the destroyer, you know, here's uh, police force 5,000 or something. It just, it, you know, RoboCop, it's just corny and it, it just works. It also it's tells perfect. you exactly what you're getting. Oh, absolutely. What were they going to call it? Assault on OCP? Well, and then there's another thing that's kind of funny about this movie actually being a hit. And I don't know if this is a positive or a negative. Go back and watch the original trailer. Basil Polidorus hadn't turned his very iconic theme song or score in yet. So the trailer and all the original TV spots are scored with the Terminator theme, also being an Orion Hemdale film. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you... Robocop. Good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go, you are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal! Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? Anything you say may be used against you. He's a cyborg, you idiot. You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory's admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it. Get out of the 
Robocop's success. I would say it helped because people like Terminator and they hear that familiar Terminator theme, they're going to go, oh, this is going to be just like Terminator. So they would turn out to see it. And yeah, this is nothing like Terminator. It's a completely different thing. I mean, not to denigrate t Terminator, but Robocop is just as good, but it's completely different. But I think that kind of advertising, you know, that take on advertising w would help the film. Probably the general public didn't even notice. They probably just kind of heard, you know, heard the score a little bit, saw, you know, robot cop kicking ass and were like, all right, that's that's good enough for me. And then there's this real, you know, exciting music to go along with it. Uh, I mean, why do you think now when you watch a trailer, there's 50 trailers and they all have the same music behind it, the same orchestral The alien stuff. score has been used in I don't know how many trailers. This film, just like Aliens, Aliens was made for only $14 million and got a lot of on you know, all that $14 million is on screen. RoboCop had to build an entire new world, and this thing only had a relatively small $13 million budget. That is even more astounding with everything that they were able to do with this movie. $13 million is nothing in comparison to the kind of crap we have today for a, you know 50 times that budget can't get anything that looks this good. I think this 13 million was really well spent. Yes, it was very well spent. The the special effects in RoboCop are amazing. The ED209 by today's standards, yeah, he's kind of choppy and looks like claymation, but he 1987 he looked friggin' awesome. The only piece of special effects I I don't think holds up is when Dick Jones is shot out the window. Oh, and he's got the like the, the flappy man arms? Yeah, that's the only part that I think doesn't hold up. Otherwise, I'd absolutely love the effects, and I wouldn't change a damn one of them in this. The effects, it just goes to show how creativity will always trump these gigantic CGI budgets. I think that that should be something for the, a lot of the larger producers and directors now to go back and look and be like, okay, how were they able to create an entirely new world and new franchise and everything and make it look good to the point of where it still looks good today, with the exception of, like you said, a few minor things that now we'd be able to fix. We just didn't have the technology back then. Now you get something like uh, the Total Recall remake, which the, the cost of that was astronomical, and everything looks like toys. It doesn't have that realism because it's, it's just over-CGI. They overdo it, and they just spend hundreds of millions of dollars on this stuff, and it, it just it doesn't resonate. It doesn't work. Like, it's just ridiculous that they keep dumping all this money into CGI, and then the movies come out, and they they look crappy, they look terrible, and they're dated a few years after they're out. Whereas this costs $13 million, and here we are decades later, and it still is a damn fine-looking film. Okay, it cost $13 million, made $53 million at the box office, so pretty big hit. I also want to point out, this film was shot, some, some of it was shot in L.A., most of it was shot in Dallas. The film takes place in war-torn, broke Detroit that is full of crime, is completely bankrupt and is totally corrupt. 
So Detroit 2014. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so basically the Detroit of today. That's the more ironic part. But like I said, this was shot in Texas for the most part. This film was a big hit. It spawned a huge line of comic books and toys, video games and things. More so, the second film spawned most of this. But this started the ball rolling in a franchise. This was never thought to be a franchise at this point. The best thing about RoboCop is that it's not just about a robot cop. There is such a human angle to it with Alex Murphy that you never got in any of the other things in the robot RoboCop franchise. This film being the success that it was, ironically enough, it didn't spawn a sequel right away. It spawned, strangely enough, kids animated series in 1988. And as we talked about, this was a hard hard R. And we didn't even see the uncut version yet. There was the Laserdisc Criterion Edition that would insert all the violence back into the movie is still about two years away. So this hard, hard R movie spawns a 12-episode Sunbow Kids cartoon. That's a strange place to go with this, even at that time. Because, yeah, now... We've got Conan being turned into a cartoon, Toxic Avenger being turned into a cartoon, Rambo being turned into a cartoon. This was the first of the let's take the hard R movie and make it for kids thing. The cartoon, to me, I watched all 12 episodes. The worst thing about the cartoon is that it's RoboCop. And let me explain that. It's no better or no worse than any average G.I. Joe or Transformers episode. If this were not RoboCop and set arguably in the RoboCop universe... This would not be a bad cartoon. It's the fact that it's RoboCop that makes it really irritating. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that that makes sense. In fact, the cartoon kind of goes contrary to the satire because it's just about, watch this robotic cop man fight drug dealer. Yeah, and it's it's really straightforward and doesn't have the satire. I think it's just basically they uh, somebody in marketing sold the rights to a cartoon company and the cartoon Sunbow Sunbow Marvel Sunbow Marvel and they just saw this as an opportunity to take uh you know the name and turn it into a kids show and basically they probably never saw the original just like looked at pictures and were like okay we're gonna have you know a cop fight crime and he's a robot you know they didn't really go any deeper than that which is how I feel about what the remake is but I know we're gonna get into that later so then after that the, the cartoon like i said it only lasted 12 episodes it didn't let you know it wasn't a big hit although it would continue to be syndicated well into the 90s so those 12 episodes got quite a run i guess you could call that technically a hit then but then eventually in 1990 we got robocop 2 they realized that newmeyer and Miner's script since it was essentially judge dread without being judge dread Let's keep mining the comic book realm. And they got pre-insanity Frank Miller to write the script for RoboCop 2. And unfortunately, what he wrote was, to put a quote from Irving Kirshner, absolutely unfilmable by 1990 standards. Did he write, I'm the goddamn RoboCop? No, I told you this is pre-insanity, Frank Miller. Yeah, I still would have liked I'm the goddamn RoboCop. <laughs> So Frank Miller's script being essentially unfilmable, it was heavily rewritten by a bunch of people, and you can kind of tell when you watch the movie. RoboCop 2 comes out, and it's not bad. It's not as big of a hit as RoboCop was, as, you know, sequels tend to 
not make as much money. It had a $35 million budget over the 13 of the first one, and it only made $45 million, so really it kind of broke even at the box office. And the film was not very well received by critics. RoboCop 2, I don't know, it's right straight down the middle. My thoughts on it are there are parts I really like in RoboCop 2. My biggest complaint about RoboCop 2, and I timed it out when I watched it last week, it's 20 to 22 minutes for each one of these. Every 20 to 22 minutes, it's like a new storyline starts and the previous storyline was over with only a small thread running through it. So this one, unlike the first film, which felt like a journey and one overarching story, RoboCop 2 feels like a bunch of episodes that happen to be strung together. Uh, Kind of, but I mean, I... I'm in the camp of I absolutely positively love RoboCop 2. It is, you know, not as good as the first one, but it's really hard to top the first one. It's actually more violent. I think it might even be more violent than the than the Criterion Laserdisc. And this one was heavily edited, too. Yeah. And they they kill a child like really Ruth, like just I'll, I mean, I'll get to that because that's one of my problems. So we'll get to Hobbs death. But OK, but I, I just think like it was it was fantastic. Uh, the whole concept of how they were trying to, you know, create another one for uh, another RoboCop. But they were mining from the, you know, the criminal underground and they brought in Kane and they just made yeah, they, it. one of the one of the rejected RoboCop twos is one of my favorite moments in this. The very first one, he peels his own face off, screams, and shoots himself in the head. Awesome. I, I laugh my ass off no matter how many times I've seen that scene. Yeah, and it's done so well. Again, it, yes, it was a larger budget, but if you look at that versus some of the you know big, huge budgets we have now, it's ridiculous how, how well this looks and for, for a relatively small budget. I mean, that's, that's less than half of what a lot of actors get paid these days. I just I, I think that they had the satire right again. Kirshner's directing was really worked well. It it, it played off of Verhoeven's and it it's just a it's just a really good movie. I mean I have always enjoyed that one. That one to me is whereas Robocop one is fantastic, it's a little bit more serious, whereas Robocop two is a little bit more fun. RoboCop 2 is a lot more fun, and it does expand upon the universe, and they did do a great job of not just, like, the further adventures of RoboCop. They did add a lot of great new things, like when OCP gives RoboCop, like, 300 other directives. That was actually a shot at all the criticisms of the first film being too violent and the main audience being kids. One of the directives, Directive 262, Avoid Orion Meetings. Yeah, for those that don't know, Orion is the company that made these movies. And all these directives made him, like, useless and a joke, and those scenes are hilarious where he tries to, like, talk things out with people and, like, not use violence. Do you know what's really funny? Remember where he shoots around that guy's outline and then, thank you for not smoking? They actually used that as a no-smoking ad that some theaters played before the movie yeah. <laughs> so they actually license that as a psa or where he's reading the miranda rights to a corpse that's one of the complaints that people have about this movie is this one got sadistic that the first film was hyper violent this one and i i can't say they're 100 percent wrong went overboard on the sadism i mean you've got a crooked cop being autopsied while he's alive and screaming and they're making a kid watch it 
you've got a Little League baseball team swearing up a storm and beating the crap out of an old man to steal guns. This one almost reveled in in, in sadism. And so I kind of see where some of that criticism comes from. In a way, you lose some of the satire when you go that over the top. Maybe I'm weird, but I loved Nancy Allen's new 1990 haircut in this. I thought she just looked absolutely gorgeous in this. And oh my God, Dr. Julia Fax is like a dream woman in this. And Alex, you know the kind of women I go for. Totally up my alley, right? With facts. She's got the whole like punk look going on here. I, I've always kind of had a had a little bit of a thing for uh, uh, Lewis. Uh, she, you know, uh, watched so many. Like she did a bunch of like women in prison movies in in like the early eighties and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, and, Na- Nancy Allen did a lot of exploitation. Yeah, she did a, a good bit of exploitation and stuff. And so, uh, I mean, I granted I saw all of that after RoboCop, but um, she, I've always kind of dug her. I, I, I've been a bigger fan of longer hair, so I would have rather her have had uh, her hair she had in, like, Sweet Revenge. But, or RoboCop 3. Or RoboCop 3, but, uh, well, for when she was in RoboCop 3. <laughs> this did have one strange character change from one of the recurring characters, and that was the old man. The old man, Dan O'Hurley, from the first film, he never came across as evil in the first film. He came across as a little bit ruthless, but he seemed to actually care that Dick Jones went that far off the reservation. Whereas the old man in this one is a fucking psychopath in a suit. I'm not sure that's a natural progression for that character. Um, I didn't mind it. It, it was weird because he was kind of the good guy so to speak in in the first one he was uh really against uh you know dick jones and he did go a little but i mean i guess it was just kind of the progression of that i mean he he was getting older you know i mean if they would have expanded upon that more maybe he was just kind of losing his mind now one of the biggest complaints about the movie outside of the violence is this movie was intensely controversial because of one specific character the character of Hob, played by Gabriel Damon. Honestly, I think Damon does a really good job in the movie, honestly. But his character, I'll just quote from Roger Ebert, okay? Quoting here, Kane's sidekicks include a violent, foul-mouthed young boy named Hob, who looks to be about 12 years old but kills people without remorse, swears like Eddie Murphy, and eventually takes over the drug business. The movie's screenplay is a confusion of half-baked and unfinished ideas, and the use of that killer child is beneath contempt, unquote. A lot of critics had issues with the Hob character. I really liked the fact that they made a budding psychopath in training a really young boy. I thought that worked really well with the exception of Hob's death scene. We see Hobbs helping destroy RoboCop. We see him swearing like crazy. We see him running prostitution. We see him running drugs. We see him killing police officers. We see him torturing a man alive. We see him trying to kill a baby. We see him running over pedestrians. And yet when Hobbs dies, the music swells and RoboCop holds his hand so he won't be alone in those last moments. And I'm going, are you kidding me i'm supposed to feel bad that hobbs is dead movie really i think it was majorly ballsy that they did that with a kid i mean that he that he was as ruthless as he was i mean there have been killer kid movies before but 
usually they would kind of gloss around the fact whereas like you said with with this kid he's giving a guy an autopsy alive he's running over people i mean he's a brutal freaking murderous child and yeah it was a little hokey to have the whole i guess redemption in death where he's like oh wait you know all of all of these bad things i've been doing all this time it's finally caught up with me it a little corny but it is very possible that that may have been the only way that they could get that through it's like all right well this kid's killed a bunch of people but maybe you know when he gets killed we give him a little bit of a redemption so I, I don't know. I mean, there's no uh, there's got to be a little bit more to that. It is kind of weird, though, that there's that such a shift in tone where all of a sudden it's like, hey, remember all that evil stuff this kid did? Yeah, I feel bad for him now. My thought on Hobbes is and this is the problem I had watching the movie as an adult is I was familiar enough with that actor already. He was the voice of Littlefoot in The Land Before Time and the voice of Nemo in Little Nemo the Dream Master and he played this crybaby kid in an episode of, of The Next after, Generation. Though. Yes, they were after. But I had all of those in mind when I sat down to watch RoboCop 2 as an adult, so I could not take the character seriously because I had all these kiddie versions of that actor in my mind. So it made it very hard to accept that character as a psychopath at all. It all seemed so fake. Every scene with that kid, I just was not buying. And the the, the scene where he dies is the only one I'm like, okay... I could buy that because that's that's the kid that voiced Littlefoot. So this seems natural for that that actor. This film was the beginning of the marketing spiral out of control for the RoboCop franchise. We pointed out there was the cartoon in 88 and, you know, some comics, some action figures, nothing major. After RoboCop 2, more comics, more action figures. Now there's a bunch of video games. There's an NES game. There's a Sega game. There's video games on the PC. You've got a board game coming out, T-shirts. He, he had a crossover, cross-marketing deal with the heavy metal band Babylon AD, where Peter Weller and Gabriel Damon both appear in, in the video interacting with the band as a tie-in, and probably the lowest moment at this point of the franchise, RoboCop was on WCW Wrestling, helping the wrestler Sting out in some of the outside of the ring nonsense. Well, I mean again, I don't I don't ever fault the movie for when the merchandising comes in and starts just going bananas with things. It's it's not the fault of the movie. Like the movie now if they alter the movie to appease the merchandising, like they make uh new characters so that, that comes later. Yeah, just so that they can make uh, action figures. Well, then, yeah, that's that's where it becomes a problem. But I mean, RoboCop one and two were not done to be, you know, merchandised out. It's just that they were so popular that the people who were in charge of marketing and whatnot were like, well, what can we do? All right, well, let's sell it to everybody. And they just, you know, made thing made it ridiculous and kind of really spit in the face of what the whole point of the series is trying to say. The whole point of the movies is like, you know, hey, this is not really the way that things are supposed to be going, but they made them that way. You know, him going into wrestling and him wasn't until way later where he's selling, uh, where he's picking up a refrigerator in Japan and and eating fried chicken. And I think he was also a noodle salesman in Japan as well. Hey, UFO, UFO, UFO. The marketing for around RoboCop 2 was insane. 
It was everywhere. Um, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing RoboCop. Um, that's why I wanted to see the movie so bad, actually, because it was shoved down my throat when I was a kid. So, so, so then we run into a weird, sticky timeline now. So RoboCop 2, like I pointed out earlier, Frank Miller had so many ideas that had to be excised because they, could, they were essentially unfilmable for a single film. Those ideas got shifted over to RoboCop 3, which Frank Miller also started. And then they brought in Fred Decker to work with Frank Miller. He made Robo he made RoboCop 3 and then Orion was facing bankruptcy at this point. So RoboCop 3 sat on the shelf for nearly 2 years. So RoboCop 3 was meant to come out relatively close to RoboCop 2. By the time it came out, well, RoboCop kind of had lost his luster. Now, Cecil, Alex, and I sat down and talked with Fred Decker about RoboCop 3. So here is what Fred Decker had to say, and we'll be back in a few minutes. After all these years, RoboCop 3 doesn't have the best reputation, but it's not a bad movie. Do you think it deserves the reputation that it has, or do you think people just really need to give it another chance? I think people were always fairly hard on it um, unnecessarily. The truth of the matter is, and I'm on record as saying this, I think that the character of Alex Murphy in, in, in Paul Verhoeven's movie is kind of, he's come full circle. The, the characters come to a complete arc by the end of that film. And the truth is that I'm not sure any sequel w was really necessary. So in a way, I was kind of dealt a hand that I couldn't win. I'm not sure how RoboCop 2 was received. I think certainly certainly better than mine. But but I still felt that it was sort of unnecessary, that the, that the character was not like Batman or James Bond or Tarzan or Sherlock Holmes. He's, he's not really a character that warrants a series of adventures necessarily. I think it's more about, it's more of a character piece about this one guy who's, who, who, who's killed. He's murdered, and then as a cop, he, he, he plays detective to solve his own murder and, uh, you know, and, and, and has to be resurrected to do so. But by the end, he's come to some kind of uh, peace with himself. And so the truth of the matter is, I don't know how the picture could have done better. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of mistakes I made, and we can talk about that. But I don't know. It's, I, I, think it gets, I think it gets short shrift, but not all of that is my fault. Some of it has to do with just the nature of sequels. You said you made some mistakes. I'll admit it, I did not like RoboCop 3 for the longest time. And then I watched it again last week, and I was actually kind of shocked at myself at how much better it was than I remembered it being. So, no, there are some very effective scenes. The, the splatterpunk scene near the beginning, you've got one shot in there that, that is absolutely a Fred Decker shot. You've got a wide shot that shows just how isolated these four people are in the middle of splatterpunk territory, even though they're only about three or four blocks away from Midtown. And that's a very right. tense horror movie scene. And I still cannot stop laughing at Bradley Whitford's exit scene. That still made, that fits tonally with Verhoeven's film through and through. So do you think people yeah. should give, just give the movie another chance or what mistakes all these years later, do you think you still made that you wish you could redo? Well, it's it's a, it's a double-edged sword. As a filmmaker, you're you're beholden to the audience, but you're also you, you can't be a whore. You have to make the movie that you want to make. And I, I think my, the biggest mistake I made with that film, because I I think it's it's pretty well made, and I'm and I'm proud of it as as a director. I think I shot the wrong script. I think um, I was much too 
kind of in awe of, of Frank Miller's comic book work. I love the, the Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year One and, and Ronan and all the stuff he was doing in the 80s in comics. I think he's, he, he's a genius. And he had written this, the original screenplay for, he'd worked on Robocop 2 and he wrote the screenplay for, for 3. And I think I was so beholden to, to, to Frank that I used the story, which was essentially uh, the corporation throws the, you know, creates a homeless problem in their pursuit of, of Delta City. And I, I'm just not sure that that was a story that, that people responded to, because the story is really the most important thing when you make a movie. And that was one problem. Another problem was the budget. We didn't have enough money to really sort of go all out. And because the, the film was on the shelf for a couple of years, when it came out it was right around the same time as as T2 and, and Jurassic Park, which kind of completely changed the landscape of effects, uh, special effects in action, adventure, popcorn movies. So we were kind of hobbled as far as that goes. Um, if I'd had my druthers, even at the time, I was thinking it'd be great to do what the Wachowskis did with uh, The Matrix, which is which was taken a, a kind of a Hong Kong, Asian cinema approach to the action. And I had I had actually dreams of of you know getting the Jackie Chan uh, stunt team over here to do all that stuff and and ultimately I didn't have enough courage uh, and we didn't have the money to do that but I think had we done that it would have been a better movie I think it would have been a better movie if, if it were funnier if if more of the jokes played like you like the Brad Whitford scene to a lot of people that falls flat a lot of the humor in the movie falls flat truth is I think it's because the Verhoeven's movie is so cool and so great and and brilliant that. It's almost impossible to to replicate the tone that he created. And part of the reason I think that the tone of that, that first movie is so interesting is that he, he's a foreigner. He's, he's Dutch, and he's looking at America, particularly in the 80s when, when America was, was especially ridiculous. He's looking at America and going, you know, these people are nuts. This is crazy. And I think that informs that first movie. And it's really tough for a you know a 30-year-old kid from, from Moran County to to try and replicate that worldview. Does that make sense? Why was there such a, a shift in tone from the original being so hard R and then the sequel going more into PG-13 territory? Yeah, well, I think, you, I don't know if you know this, but, but you know, what happened was, the, 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 I mean, it's a comic book movie. Robocop, the first one, even though it's not based on a comic book, is one of the great comic book movies. It was a comic book for adults, you know, very much so. And what happened was that because of, because of home video and cable and and all that, kids were watching this hard R movie and enjoying this character and investing in this character. So Orion looked at the numbers and they saw that toys were being made and comic books and I don't know when the first cartoon series was, but there was this sense that this character maybe was ripe to expand to to other markets and to skew wider than than the character had in the first and second film. I think the second film is extremely violent and harsh. Because I think Kirshner and Frank were trying to replicate that, that tone I was trying to talk about, I was talking about, which which is very difficult to do. That that kind of satirical, violent, you know, world that Verhoeven created is very tricky. My marching orders were to make a PG-13 movie that, that parents could take their kids to see. And the fact of the matter is that this character in this world is just not PG-13. It just isn't. And to do that is not to say that I. I mean, I did it, and, and someone else might have done it even better, but I, I just don't think it lends itself. Um, and that's where the shift in tone comes from. I think the first movie is a perfect blend of, of humor and 
of, of satire and, and kind of violent action. The second movie, I think the, the satire feels to me like it's trying a little hard and it's extremely violent. There's a lot of drug use in those first two movies too, which instantly gives you an R rating. So our movie, we were trying to kind of have our cake and eat it too. And, and I think we were, I think it was a suicide mission, frankly. What is the RoboCop 3 you wanted versus the RoboCop 3 that audiences received? That's a great question. I think I touched on it a little bit. I think I think if 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 it were a little more user friendly, I think if the story wasn't sort of political in nature, that would have helped. I think if the action had been stuff you had never seen before. So if the humor had worked, the action had had, had been a little bit more special. And and an idea that I only had I think last year, which is about 20 years too late, is that I really should have brought Nancy Allen back as a cyborg. I think even if the movie were, were not working for an audience, if at the end of the picture Robo is on his ass and being surrounded by robot ninjas and everybody's thinking, boy, this is stupid. If you heard a big clang and a wall broke down and, and Nancy Allen came through and they rebuilt her, as stupid and cheesy as that sounds, I think it would have saved the movie a bit because at least we would have been acknowledging, okay, this is a comic book and we're not, we haven't thrown this character away. We're still beholden to it and still true to it. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. On that note, what, how was it like working with Frank Miller? How far did you end up deviating? Because you said you stuck relatively close to what he wrote. He has not had anything kind to say about the movie, and he... I've, I've read he basically blames you for screwing up his amazing screenplay, but I know Frank Miller's ego in the last few years has been a little off the scales. What was it like working with him, and have you had any he's contact really, he's with also him? Really, he's also really turned to the right, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, he's a hardcore right-winger now. Yeah. Because, because, because as I say, I'm a huge fan. I remain a huge fan of his. But, but the, the, the central idea of that movie, which, by the way, has come true, corporations creating the homeless problem in order to make profit for rich fat cats. That is actually true. I'm not saying that Frank or I were geniuses. It just happened to be that the premise turned out to, to, to dovetail with reality. But the idea was, I spoke with, um, with John Carpenter on the phone when I was looking for a cinematographer and Gary Kibbe, who shot a bunch of, of John's movies. And I really liked Gary and I wanted to hire him. So I called up Carpenter and said, you know, and I, who I knew, knew from the 80s, we had worked on a script together. And he, and I told him the story of the movie and he goes, wow, that sounds real. That sounds fun. It sounds real left wing. And, and it kind of was, but the world was very right wing at that time. Frank, it's Frank's idea. So it's weird to me that he's now sort of, is sort of gun-toting, you know, looking at it from the other, from the other point of view. The truth is I shot a lot of what he wrote. It's just the tone was was raw, you know. His, if you look at his work, it's just it's very nihilistic. It's very dark. It's very kind of, you know, people. It's very kind of people making jokes while they're covered in in blood and brain matter, and that's not the movie. So in a way, he's blaming me for Ryan's choice to try and appeal to a to a younger audience. How did you go from Night of the Creeps to the Monster Squad to RoboCop 3? I mean, it seems like such a dramatic shift as far as going to a different genre completely. Being a director, you want to do different things all the time. But it did seem like quite a dramatic jump, you know, going from two pretty fantastic horror films to the third movie in a, you know, in a, in a series, a sci-fi series. Well, I, I don't, I don't know that there's, uh, I don't know that there's that big of a shift. I mean, for me, I, I don't think of 
for instance, Night of the Creeps as a, as a horror movie. I just think it's kind of a mishmash of different genres. I mean, there's some science fiction in it. There's some film noir. There's some there's some college romance. Uh, yeah, and there's zombies. But I mean, that was that. I never I never said I'm going to make a horror movie. I said I'm just going to take a bunch of stuff I like and jam it into the same movie. So so I, I I'm not sure that you obviously if you want to if you want to put a tag on it. Horror is kind of the easiest one, but the truth is, it's—I don't think it is a horror. It's also a comedy. At least it, it was—I was trying to make it that. So, so, and then Monster Squad was to me and Shane Black, who wrote it with me, an adventure movie. It just happened to have monsters in it, and there happened to be scares. But, but it really was much more of a, a kind of an Amblin, you know, Spielberg kind of movie to us. So, in fact, it was very organic to go from a comic horror film that I started with to another comic horror film that was much more of kind of an adventure and had bigger special effects and had a, a kind of a youth connection to Robo 3, which is what the studio wanted was exactly that, you know, effects and action and adventure and a youth connection. So in fact, they all kind of led from one to the other very organically. Put it like that, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. So what was it like on RoboCop 3? I mean, how much studio interference or anything did you have to go against and anything with the cast that made it difficult or easier to make the movie because i noticed you have a couple of notoriously difficult actors on the cast like mako and rip torn my follow-up to alex's question is did you have any issues uh you know the truth of the matter is i loved working with with Mako, I was a huge fan of his, um, particularly the Sand Pebbles, the Robert Wise movie that he's fantastic in. And I told him that right up front. Um, and he he was um, he was very easy to work with. And for him, it was a little bit of just sort of a payday. You know, this was not we were not making great art here. So he showed up and he said his lines and he did what I said. And he didn't quibble with me. Um, and, uh, Rip Torn was similar. He, uh, he there was a day when he said that working with me was he felt like a trained dog, which I actually sort of took as a compliment. It meant, it meant he was doing what I asked him to do, and and uh, so I didn't really have any problems with him. The biggest problem with an actor in the whole whole movie I had was um, was actually Nancy because she didn't want to wear a police uniform in the film, and I said and actually had to go to her hotel room and, and, and very calmly and as nicely as I could say, you know, but you're playing a policeman and when they go out. On calls, they haven't actually wear police uniforms. So I eventually talked her out of that. But other than that, it was a dream, I think. And, and the studio also, I don't know if you noticed, they were, they were having financial problems, which is why uh, it was on the shelf for a couple of years. So the, the studio really left me alone, which is why anything that's wrong with the movie, I have to blame I have to blame myself, apart from the fact that probably shouldn't have skewed, uh, we shouldn't have tried to make it skewed to a wider audience. At least with that story, and that at least with that screenplay. In fact, it's what's funny is that there's a there's a, a subplot in the movie, which is that which is that the OCP Corporation is actually having financial problems. There's actually a scene where a wonderful stuntman named Dick Hancock walks to a window and he jumps out the window. And that was a little bit what was going on. I mean, there was nobody jumping out of the window in Century City, but there was a little bit of that going on with Orion. So they had more important things to do than micromanage. Robocop 3. So I had a lot of freedom and, and it was a, it, it was probably the most, the, probably the best experience as a director that I've had. How did the reception that Robocop got? Because I remember the long wait. I remember DC Comics was advertising the hell out of this for a, a good year. So when Robocop 3 finally came out, it was like, wow, that finally came out. How did that affect mm -hmm. your career? Because I'm looking at your IMDb page and 
other than a few screenplays, I'm noticing you go from 1993 to 2001 without really anything. Was mm-hmm. that RoboCop 3's fault? Well, on one hand, yes, absolutely. You know, there are certain there are certain bombs. And by the way, it's probably financially the most expe- uh, most successful movie that I've ever made of, of the three films features that I've made. That's probably the most successful financially. It was um, it was a big hit in in Japan, actually, of all places. For uh, it was number one at the box office for a month in Japan. But over here, it just was it was you know savaged by the critics. The fans didn't like it. It, it definitely inhibited my directing career. I actually had a comedy that I was prepping at, uh, at Paramount just before the movie came out, and they showed them the movie, and they sort of got cold feet about, about uh, for other reasons too, but they got cold feet on going forward. And so, so that's one part of the story. The, the other part of the story that people don't really know much about is that you can, you can have a very successful career uh, financially writing screenplays and writing for television and never being on IMDb because the stuff's never made. So I was writing throughout that whole period and, and the several projects that I was trying to direct and, uh, and making a living, making a perfectly good living as a writer. But, uh, but again, unless it's made, it doesn't go on IMDb. You can spend a year or two or three on a screenplay and, and, and even be prepping it to make. And then if they pull the plug, well, then nobody knows it exists. So those are the two answers. Yes, yes, it hobbled my career. And yes, there was, uh, but, but I was still making a living. Well, because I remember that quote in the Monster Squad documentary where you said, Monster Squad, I, I think you said, hurt your career. RoboCop 3 absolutely killed it. Well, they both kind of did. I mean, all Hollywood cares about is whether or not your, your movies make any money. They don't care if they're any good. So the fact of the matter is, if, if Creeps and, and Monster Squad had found their audience when they were released as opposed to 20 years later, then, you know, I probably would have been making movies ever since. Certain, you know, if, if those had both been hits and, and RoboCop 3 had bombed, I probably would have gone ahead and made another movie very soon thereafter. But the truth is all three of those movies did not do, did not do well at the, at the box office. And it's a mercenary place out here. It's a, as with most businesses, it's the bottom line. So, you know, and I can't argue with that. I, you know, all I can say is, you know, my films have found their audiences eventually, but not in the traditional way. So as I told Fred, I really did hate RoboCop for the RoboCop 3 for the longest time. But as I rewatched it last week, it really is better than I remembered it being. Do you guys feel the same way? More or less. I mean, it is I can appreciate it more now than I did then. When I first saw RoboCop 3, and it was the first one of the franchise I watched, and it was the only one that I watched when it was in theaters, because I was 14 at the time and could see a PG-13 movie, I didn't like it because I'd already seen movies like Terminator 2, for instance, that were far superior, and RoboCop just didn't strike a nerve with me. And this was at the same time I was really getting into filmmaking and how movies were made, and... It didn't impress me any, and that's why I didn't really go back and watch the RoboCop 1 and 2 until I was an adult. RoboCop 3 was frustrating for me because when I first saw it, you know, coming off of 1 and 2 and them being so over-the-top violent and having this really fantastic satire, 3 just felt uh, a little too kiddy for me at the time, and I was angry. And, uh, I was upset because it was... Fred Decker, who directed it, who I really felt was uh, a better director 
than what was being showcased here. It seemed like there was a lot of studio meddling. And so when I first saw it, I was just angry and I didn't like it. And then in a similar fashion, I mean, I didn't go watch it again last week, but I watched it again a a few years ago. And revisiting it, I was like, you know, I'm like, there is a pretty good bit of satire in here. I mean, with the, the businessmen jumping out the window, killing themselves, and there's a lot of dark humor that I think at the time I wasn't picking up on because I was so crossing my arms going, this isn't violent enough and it's not Peter Weller, you know, but then going back, I'm like, you know, all right, Robert John Burke did a good job and they did have some pretty cool action set pieces. I mean, the, the, the Robocop backpack even I thought was kind of cool. So I, I, while it's nowhere near the quality of the first two movies, I do enjoy it more now and kind of after talking to Fred Decker, especially because I can kind of see a little bit more into what, you know, what obstacles he was going through and the movie that he was trying to make. And see, to me, one of the things that struck me about this is I remembered it being completely neutered. And then when I watched it again last week, I'm like, RoboCop straight out murders people in this. People are set on fire. They say shit over 20 times which is kind of kind of unheard of for a pg-13 movie they kill main characters relatively violently i mean when when lewis gets shot there's a lot of blood coming out of those squibs the movie is a lot more violent than i think people remember it is it's not really as neutered as as it was I know there are people that are always going to hate this one, and I do consider it the weakest of the three, but I agree with you, Cecil. After talking to Fred Decker, he made a better movie, I think, than a lesser filmmaker would have been able to out of the same material. Um, I think, you know, the movie would have fared better with an R, but it still did really good with the PG-13. Watching it as an adult in retrospective, there is a lot of potential in that movie. That There's a lot that could have been done, but as we heard about in the Fred Decker interview, his hands were kind of tied. And I also want to point out, I forgot to mention this when we were talking RoboCop 2. RoboCop 2 was shot in Texas. Okay, same, you know, same area that RoboCop 1 was shot in. Fine, fair enough. RoboCop 3 is shot in Atlanta. Now, do you guys find it funny that a movie that is so iconically placed to the city of Detroit is shot down south for everything that's happened up to this point? Texas is really no better than Detroit. I mean, a city's a city. No, I'll argue that Detroit has a distinct look and feel. It actually does quite well at the box office. But as you heard in the Fred Decker interview, it kind of murdered his career. But it, it did not fail. A lot of people seem to remember this movie as a failure, and it wasn't. It might have kind of killed the franchise, but it made its money back. But Orion was in bankruptcy, and you know there was a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo going on. When the TV series... RoboCop The Future of Law Enforcement came about the following year in 1994, they ran into a lot of things. I think I think when people seem to remember that RoboCop 3 being neutered, they're thinking of the TV series, which was absolutely castrated right at the base. The TV series came out right when the Power Rangers were coming about, 
and there was all this fervor about too much violence and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles weren't allowed to actually stab people with their weapons. They could only use the weapons to stab fruit to throw at them and things like that. The Power Rangers kicked up all this controversy about violence in kids' television. Yeah, that's when, that's, they took away when, Michelangelo, that's when they took away Michelangelo's nunchucks and I stopped yes, watching the show. That's when the RoboCop TV series came out. Came out. And so RoboCop never once shoots someone in the TV series. He'll use his gun to shoot a sign off of a building that will fall on the bad guy. Or in the pilot episode, he shoots the legs off of a dresser which falls on the villain. And he's got a gun that... Sh- He's got a gun that shoots electrified nets at people, and he, he's, he's got a, a gun that shoots smoke. And this was the neutered RoboCop that I think people associate with RoboCop 3. Yeah, the TV series was absolutely neutered. Um, I didn't see it when it first ran. Uh, I saw it in syndication on uh, Sci-Fi Channel, I believe. I liked it, but it's not good. Like, I think what happened was just at the time, I was just starved for more RoboCop. And I kind of dug, uh, I like Yvette Napar, who was playing uh, Annie. I don't know. It just, it it was neutered, but the stories I thought were interesting, the way that they were they, doing things. They did things. keep the satire. They did indeed keep the satire. There's a lot of the social satire that made it through. That's the only thing that I think makes the TV series still watchable. Yeah, I mean they they cut out the violence and everything, so which which kind of sucked. But like you said, they did have the satire and the stories were interesting enough that they kind of kept me going. And I like it's something I wouldn't recommend, but I personally enjoyed them more than I thought I would. I would recommend one thing: the two-hour pilot episode, "The Future of Law Enforcement." Newmeyer. All that Newmeyer and Miner did was they took their original script for RoboCop 2 before Frank Miller was brought on board, and they took out all the violent stuff. So essentially, the two-hour pilot is what almost happened in RoboCop 2. So for curiosity's sake, I say check out the two-hour pilot of the TV series at least, even if you're not going to go any further than that. I didn't care to go any further than that. I mean, that pilot didn't even really catch my interest. No, the pilot really wasn't that good. But. Yeah, it, it, I, that's all I watched, and I'm like, eh, eh, eh. That, 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 that's my review of it. Eh. And the TV series in America didn't do very good. It was shot in Canada, kind of felt like it was shot in Canada, as most you know lower-budget syndicated series were. In America, this is right at the beginning of the second wave of syndication boom, where you've got Hercules coming in and Xena and Space Precinct and all this stuff. The market was flooded with syndicated series. In America, this thing got buried in the 2 a.m., 3 a.m. time slots on most local channels. So irregardless of quality, it tanked over here. Europe and Japan, it did much better. Still not enough to get another another season, but it did much better overseas. After the TV series, we, we had frankly irritating... For whatever reason, again, they thought, RoboCop is a kid's show. It's a kid's franchise. So they tried an animated series again. And this time, it was in 1999, RoboCop Alpha Commando. Just listen to this theme song and tell me that this is still supposed to be RoboCop.
this was done in an anime style. Alpha Commando was embarrassing. I mean, if you thought the Sunbow series was bad as a RoboCop cartoon, this was the retarded sloth of the animated universe. I watched the opening credits, laughed my ass off, and did not care to watch the rest because I knew it would suck. Uh, I watched clips on YouTube and was like, yeah, uh, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you just, I can't do this. I can't. Yeah, I was like, I, I just, no, no, thank you. Well, that that actually lasted 40 episodes, so that wasn't too bad. But then we had the the last original piece of RoboCop, not counting comic books and whatnot, of RoboCop continuity, and that was a 2000 eight-hour miniseries called The Prime Directives, shot in Canada. It was actually made for Canadian TV, but in America it aired on the Sci-Fi Channel. It was aired as four two-hour movies. And it was Paige Fletcher from The Hitchhiker taking over the role of Alex Murphy. And he had a lot to do as Alex Murphy, too. Because one of the things about Prime Directives is a lot of flashbacks to before he became RoboCop. So Paige Fletcher had to actually act as Alex Murphy. And Prime Directives is not too bad at first. First two-hour movie, not bad. Second one, all right. The third one, watchable. In the fourth one, Nick Knight... Garrett Wynn Davies is a cyber terrorist that's trying to release a plague that will destroy the world because he thinks that's what God would want to restart the human race. That's not RoboCop, is it? I did not have eight hours to spend on it, so I didn't watch it. Uh, I managed to catch, uh, I believe, the first and second one. And um, I I enjoyed them, uh, but yeah, it just was, I, I was so starved for more RoboCop at the time. It was like, oh, it's a live-action RoboCop. All right, I'll watch it. And um, I, I, I don't know. It's it's such a odd thing because I love the franchise so much that it's like I'm really willing to forgive just to watch anything with RoboCop. But this one did give you more because this mm-hmm. one said, yeah, all that neutered stuff. We we got our balls reattached. Prime Directives. If you say anything about it, this thing is hyper violent. This thing, they're killing people. They're blowing people up. There's open brain surgeries. A guy gets cut up into multiple pieces by a laser with gore everywhere. This was not... I think they were trying to make you forget the 1994 TV series with this. So it was giving you a little bit more. I also was kind of hoping that this would do well enough that maybe it would uh, spur them to to continue the original series. Because this was back... Before we were getting remakes and reboots out the you know butt, so uh, it's like I was hoping that it's like all right, well if this does well, maybe we'll get a RoboCop four and they'll kind of continue with the series. But uh, you know that didn't happen. It's worth checking it out if you're a RoboCop fan. Don't say we didn't warn you. Don't say we didn't warn you that you you will be disappointed, but not as much as Alpha Commando or the future of law enforcement will disappoint you. So then after that, RoboCop essentially went into hibernation for a while. There were still some comics. Frank Miller was so displeased with what happened with RoboCop 2 and 3, he took his original script and adapted it into a nine-issue comic book series called Frank Miller's RoboCop, which is a complete and utter mess because this is I'm the goddamn Batman era Frank Miller, and I have a feeling these were not his original scripts because they reek of late 90s. Frank Miller, not early 90s Frank Miller. 
So I don't buy that they just adapted his original scripts. So then after that, there was really nothing RoboCop outside of a video game here and there. There was a game on the Xbox. There was RoboCop versus Terminator game on the Sega, which was violent as hell. It was so awesome. And there was even a blood code where you could add more gore to it, too, a gore code. Then for years, they've been threatening us with a RoboCop remake, which kept alternating from a remake to a RoboCop 4 to a remake to a RoboCop 4. And MGM kept going back and forth and back and forth. And then Darren Aronofsky was attached. And I mean, I'll admit my bias up front. I narrated Road to Redo documentary series at robocoparchive.com where you can you know hear a much more comprehensive version of how we got to what's coming out next week i just think a remake is a bad idea i would have liked a robocop 4 i don't think this needed to be rebooted i really don't like everything i've seen about it so far i don't like the casting i don't like how how they're trying to be cutesy with it Obviously, we haven't seen the movie yet, but there's a line in the script that was leaked online that was labeled as a shooting script where they actually make fun of the original RoboCop costume at a focus group when they're trying to figure out costumes where they say it looks like an action figure from the 80s. No one would believe that. It seems like this one has no respect for the franchise. To me, from the trailers, RoboCop 2014 looks like a RoboCop ripoff that happened to actually get the license it was ripping off. This remake looks terrible. Not even just as like a remake of RoboCop. It just looks like a terrible movie. It oh, and from the clips I've seen in the trailer, keep in mind I haven't seen the whole movie yet, which is getting like uh, a mix of reviews. It, I it's, can't. It, it's at the d- the date we're recording this. It's literally a fifty fifty on on Rotten Tomatoes. Fifty percent hate it. Fifty percent love it. Yeah, this is a right down the middle divide with critics. But those 50% that love it are questionable as it is. I mean, it just looks like the CGI looks terrible when you watch the actual clips of the movie. And the stuff they do to make Alex Murphy, well, he's just a human that happens to be wearing a suit. And he's killed when his car explodes, for fuck's sake. I mean, I have no interest in this movie. Lewis is a black man. Oh my god, really? I didn't even catch that. That f- this movie. He missed that part, huh, Cecil? Yeah, Lewis is a black man in this. Just everything about this movie, it just does not need to exist. I mean, the whole PG-13 angle that the director was pushing and really trying to get people to believe, oh no, it's uh, it's still violent. It, you know, shut up. The, the original would have been rated PG-13 by today's standards. Not yeah. if he's not if he's watched it. Exactly. It just feels like a movie that just has no soul. It's like they're trying to pump as much money into it as possible. And by them releasing all these clips, that every clip I see just looks awful. But for that, it screams like they're like, no, look, see, it's really good. It's got all this action. It's got all the And it's like... RoboCop movies were not about the action. Yes, they had action in them, and the action sequences were awesome, but it really was about the story. It was about the guy trying to reclaim his humanity. And this, it's like, well, look, he's got predator mode or whatever, where, where you know, he can he, he can walk in and, and he... That scene where he's going in and he's jumping over the 
jumping over the cops and fighting all the at 209s and bouncing around like a pinball. I was I'm wondering like, why I wasn't holding an Xbox controller for that. Exactly. Oh, that, that scene alone, he shoots one cop and all the others scatter like cockroaches. It's he shoots him with a taser, by the way. You'll notice there was a little electrical zoop around the cop. Yeah, and then all the other cops go, oh no, and run away. Oh. Yeah, it's just, uh, it was so weak. And then the other scene uh, that just came out a couple days ago, the uh, the hocus pocus by focus scene. That <laughs> Which, just that, felt... that's bizarre to me. Why would you try to aim this movie at a younger audience? You've taken Basil Polidorus' score and dubstepped it, Ugh. And then you use a classic rock staple for one of your action scenes. How schizophrenic are you with who you think your audience is? Oh, no. Let's, let's watch that scene again, Josh. That is a remixed version of Hocus Pocus by Focus. There's some dubstep in it. There is. It's, it's like dubstep in everything. It's, it's yeah. like wub wub yodel wub wub. <laughs> I'm not going to endorse this movie in any way, shape, or form. I will not pay to see it in the theater. I might get it from a, a red box when it comes out next year on video. I might pay a dollar to see this. I will not endorse this. Now, people are going to say, oh, you're reviewing the movie without seeing it. No, I'm not reviewing the movie. I'm saying I have no desire to see this movie. It looks like shit to me. And I will not waste my time watching it. Read into that what you will. I'm the same way. I have absolutely zero uh, intention. Like, I I am curious to see it simply because I, I know I'm, you know, uh, going to get a lot of people asking me, you know, well, how do you, you know, what do you think of the remake? And, and I refuse to give the movie money. So at the very least, like if, if I end up having the time, what I would probably do is go to the theater and buy a ticket to something else and then wander into the, the RoboCop theater. So it's like, all right, so I'm seeing the movie, but I'm not paying you know, for that movie. I'm getting giving the money to somebody, you know, something deserving. But more than likely, I'm probably not going to be able to th see it in theaters and I'll see it, you know, on Netflix or something uh, just out of sheer morbid curiosity and who knows i mean maybe we're all completely wrong and it's just the movie's being misrepresented i have a feeling though and given the track record of remakes we all know what a piece of shit this is gonna be wub wub yodel wub 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 yodel wub wub that sums it all up before we get into the goodbyes i want to i want to thank fred decker for taking the time to sit down with us and being frankly open with us about so the problems that RoboCop 3 had. And you know what? Before I watched RoboCop 3 again last week, I was ready to go into that interview and kind of go, this movie sucks. Explain yourself. I really couldn't because, like I said, I really was misremembering RoboCop 3. So I want to thank Fred Decker. I also want to thank Alex Wubwubjowski. Where can people find you? At geekjuicemedia.com. We're, we're running a contest right now. Check it out. Are you going to tell them what it is? No, they got to find out themselves, man. I don't want people to click on it. <sighs> Cecil, where can people find you? They can find me on goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And to throw a nice plug out there for Mr. Decker, if you have not seen Night of the Creeps or have not seen Monster Squad, you should absolutely go out and buy them immediately. And Only see Night of the Creeps if you see the correct ending. 
Yes, see the Fred Decker approved ending. The, the theatrical ending, it still works, not as cool as the Decker ending. And then you can find me at the same geekjuicemedia.com, 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. I'm a big Robocop fan. Have a good night, guys.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.